Thank you, Pastor Nate and uh, Radiant Bible Church. It is great to be with you, albeit uh, I think we can all agree this is a very unusual way to be together, and I'm grateful for the audio and the video that we can uh, do this. Um, so in your home, wherever you are at, whether you're alone, whether you're with family, whether you're with your small group, whether you're with some others on this, I think one thing we can all agree is that this has been a very non-normal week. Uh, we have seen uh, interesting things taking place, and uh, literally, who would have thought a week ago on Sunday that we would be doing church together the way that we're doing church together here this morning and today? Um, and I hope that you answer that by saying, I actually know someone who knew it the whole time. And in fact, that is our triune, eternal God. Our triune, eternal, uh, self-sufficient, self-existent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God our holy God, who is unchanging, who is creator, covenant maker, and sovereign. And oh, the irony, last Sunday, what is it that we talk about? The sovereignty of God. And uh, while you and I didn't know what was coming up, he did. And uh, we stayed assured on that. One of the things I just love about being able to do what I do is periodically, even as Pastor Nick mentioned earlier, the connecting of the planning of things. I mean, last Sunday, this Sunday, this whole series was actually planned before this year began. And then here we find out uh, last Sunday, teaching on our God is sovereign, and then all of this week takes place, and this week happens. And uh, only God could know that. It's kind of like God knows just what we need when we need it, isn't it? And uh, I thank the Lord for that. And then today, we're talking about our God is faithful, how our God is faithful, and we need that. Um, our God is faithful. So at the beginning of the series, I noted a preference that I'd prefer not making the routine notation about what we're doing today or, and in this series is talking about the attributes of God. While that is correct, that word is correct, the character, the trait, the attributes of God, uh, there's something that goes on with that terminology. And let me kind of say it this way. When it comes to living out attributes, you and I, we are what I'll call the whack-a-moles of attributes. I mean, what happens in our lives is the various attributes, like one pops up there and then disappears. And then another one pops up there and disappears. And we live attributes kind of in this pop-up in the moment, at a random time kind of a situation. And so what it looks like is, is we live out kindness one moment, and then it's kind of like gone a, a little later. We live out patience, and, and then it's gone. Or we'll be servant-hearted one moment, and there it goes, it disappears. Uh, we'll live graciously in a moment, and then it like retracts out of sight for a while. We'll even be faithful in a moment, and then off we are doing an idolatry run after some shiny object that we think will bring us joy and satisfaction. And so when it comes to these attributes, we kind of live in them in a whack-a-mole reality, but that is not our God. 
And that is the thing we're trying to emphasize in this, that what we are doing is not these uh, periodic attributes that at random moments, at necessary moments, pop up about who our God is. What we're really doing is we are talking about the intrinsic nature, the very essence of who our God is all the time, all the time. He does not pop an attribute up here and there. His attributes are in effect are essentially, intrinsically happening all the time, and that's what we're talking about when we say our God is faithful. God is not the whack-a-mole of attributes like we are. Our God always is who He is. He is never not who He is. And that's critical for us to understand, and that's kind of the nail that I want to continue driving in our time together today. Our God unswervingly adheres to all that he is. In fact, A.W. Tozer, I think, says it well this way. He says, a God, being who he is, cannot cease to be what he is. And being what he is, he cannot act out of character with himself. He is his own reason for all that he is and does. He cannot be compelled from without, but ever speaks and acts from within himself by his own sovereign will as it pleases him. He goes on, he cannot divide himself and act at a given time from one of his attributes while the rest remain inactive. Well said, our God is faithful. And one more quote before we kind of dive further in this. A statement by R.C. Sproul was actually tweeted by someone this week, and it says this, Sproul notes this, this is what is wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. God, I just pray in this time that we have here together that you would drive home increasingly so who you are Part of the reality today in uh, seeking who you are and your faithfulness is we are going to learn about who we are. Father, I just pray, show yourself to us here in our homes, around the city, and beyond. You are faithful, intrinsically, unswervingly, never not who you are. And that is reassuring And that is constant. And that's what we need to be seeing in our day right now. We grasp a hold of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our God is faithful. Well, let's begin in 2 Timothy 2 by seeing a contrast. And then we're going to go to Luke 15 and see kind of that uh, contrast illustrated. Let's begin with a contrast. If you haven't already, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, We're not going through a study of the book of uh, Timothy, so we're not in a detailed exegesis of the text. Uh, But I do want to get a little bit of context here, so we're going to be mainly keying in on verse 13, but let me read verses 1 through 17. You follow along in your Bible. Uh, Verses 1 through 17, 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust, Timothy, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering, Timothy, 
as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, Timothy, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. By the way, that note there, five used five times in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Only times it's used, uh, and it's a trustworthy saying. It carries this idea that I'm about to make a truth statement. So here's this truth statement, kind of in a contrasting, almost in a hymnic-like uh, way. He says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has had no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Let's go back to verse 13. Uh, verse 13. It begins with, if we are faithless. By the way, I want to note here that in the original language, the we there, it's a first person plural we. It's not a third person plural they. Uh, is Paul using faithless here to reference the person that renounces their faith or the apostate in Christ? Some think that's what Paul is making reference to here. Or is Paul using faithless here to reference the Roman 7 reality that the Apostle Paul talks about, where as a follower of Christ, it, it, it's that I want to do what's right, but it's like I can't. It's like there's a war within my soul going on. Oh, I want to do what's right and the struggle of sin. Some think that it's that. Frankly, I don't think it's important for us here in what we're talking about to work that all out. The important part I want to bring out here is we are seeing a contrast that is being made here about faith and about the reality of the contrast between mankind and God. And that's what I want to grab a hold of here. And what we see here is that in the beginning is that, if you will, the natural, if I could say, the nature, the essence, the, the, the reality is that you and I, that mankind is faithless. That's a sad testimony, but it's true. And the fact is, is if this room actually was full... Uh, we could see all kind of differences all around us. We would see things like different ages, and we would see different stages and sizes. We'd see different colors, life stories, skill sets, even spiritual journeys. 
But there would be one thing that's the same about every person that would be in this room, and that's this. That is that by nature, because of sin, we are intrinsically faithless. And that's what the text is kind of pointing out here. That's who we are. Remember Sproul's comment? We oftentimes don't know who God is. And along with that, we don't know who we are. And it's kind of bad news. It's sad news. It's hard news to hear. But the truth of the matter is, friend, and you and I know it if we're honest about it, we in our essence, in our nature, are faithless first. I'd like for us to kind of picture this verse here. Paul is like the uh, WWE announcer, okay? And what's happening here in verse 11, he's kind of saying, making reference to, okay, here in this corner is, and then who in this corner is. And so uh, Paul is kind of like the, I know it's hard to imagine Paul at a WWE uh, event, but let's just imagine that he is and that he is the announcer that's going on. And what he has done here is he said, in this corner is mankind. And he would go through all the blah, blah, blah things about uh, whatever he was. But he would finish with this. In this corner is mankind, blah, 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 blah. And his name and her name is Faithless. That's kind of what's happening here in the text. If we are faithless, by the way, I'll add into that the reality of Genesis 6-5. It says, the Lord saw, this is before Noah and the ark, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man is great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his or her heart was only evil continually. And by the way, if you think, yeah, well, that was then but not now, I would add Romans 3 No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Then the text goes on in verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Again, what a hard truth. What a harsh truth, but it is truth. And let's know this. All of this is not simply referring to the person next to you, maybe, or to your neighbor, or to a coworker, or to someone that drives you nuts, or a schoolmate. What's being referenced here in the reality of faithlessness through Scripture, it is referring to all of us. In fact, Ephesians 2.1 says, and you were spiritually dead in your sins. And the idea is in your sins piled on top of your sins. We are faithless by nature. But here's the contrast. Contrast that now with what Paul says about God. And what does he say? He, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He cannot disown who he is. 
literary movement of this text is carrying it in that, that now Paul is moving over into the other corner in this WWE match, if you want to view it that way. And, and Paul here in this corner is saying, in this corner is the triune, eternal God with all of the other uh, uh, realities, essences of who we have been studying, who God is, lays it out. And he finishes that off at this point, who remains faithful, and his name is faithful. That's what's happening here. Over here is mankind whose name is faithless. Over here is our triune, eternal God whose name is faithful. And one of the things about it is, is he is faithful because he is faithful not just by his actions. He is faithful because that's who he is. It is his nature. It is his essence. It is the very being of who our God is. And kind of, can you hear Paul doing this announcement? And over here, and then over here, God who is faithful. And the crowd goes wild, right? Yeah, that's our God. And frankly, that should be happening within our own hearts on this. The very intrinsic nature, the very intrinsic essence of our God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot disown himself. But in the text, it is he is presently, actively, indicatively, or presently, actively, continually, always faithful. He is never not faithful to who he is is that is our God. Unswerving adherence to. Our God is faithful. In Exodus 3 and 4, Moses is at the burning bush. And uh, God grabs him out of his normal day-to-day routine at that time, which is just taking care of sheep, very similar to David. And all of a sudden he comes up upon the Lord at the burning bush. And the text tells us, if Moses says, If I come to the people and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And listen, listen, you know what it says. And God said, Tell them the I am sent you. Think about that. That's what it is here. It's this idea. God is I am. God is not someone else. God is not the, the, the uh, good version of you and me. God is not uh, better than, it's not referring to that. It's referring to this idea, even God is naming himself as I am. Who are you? I am. That's it. I am faithful to myself, and all that I am, I always am. I am never whack-a-mole. I am never popping up an attribute and then it disappears. I am who I am, all attributes up all the time. But we cannot say that about ourselves. Because in one moment we are who we are, and in the next moment we are kind of someone different. But God is the I am. In fact, later in Exodus 34, it's just two chapters after the whole uh, golden calf incident, and we read that uh, the Lord passes before Moses. So intriguing. Listen to this. The Lord passes before Moses to show him part of his glory. 
and, and, and the Lord declares something. is interesting? The Lord passes by, and as he passes by, the Lord is declaring something about himself. And here's what he declares. Jehovah, Jehovah, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. By the way, all of those have yet to come in this series. And then God, as he passes, declaring all of those attributes of who he is all the time, also then says, steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? By the way, God is who he is. He is the I am. And that means that God is loving and God is gracious. And yet, you hear at the end of that, God is declaring about himself everything that he said, everything that he's promised, everything that he said he's going to do, including judging and even judging the guilty. He is true to who he is. And might I say, in a noisy world right now. And you and I are wondering literally day to day, what's happening? Our God is faithful. Stayed strong. He doesn't change. He doesn't pop an attribute. He is God, and all of these are the very nature of who he is. He is the essence of faithfulness. For us, it has been a crazy, swervy, curvy, topsy-turvy week. I mean, the stock market is tanking. The coronavirus is spreading. Schools are closing. The NCAA canceling. Store shelves are emptying. Political opponents are warring. News medias are frantically reporting. And it also depicts the fragility of mankind. What is happening around us is a living illustration of what is really going on within us. This is who we are. And if by God's grace he was not holding this all together, this would completely self-implode. And contrast the topsy-turvy with who our God is. And he is faithful. And he is constant. He's not sitting on the throne nervous, friends. He's not sitting on the throne trying to figure out, now what do I do? Because I wasn't expecting that. Our God is all-knowing. Our God is all-present. Our God is all-powerful. Our God is completely set apart from us. Our creator, covenant-maker God, is sovereign and was not surprised by a nanosecond of what happened. And in fact, he is allowed to take place what is allowed to take place because he is over it all. Our God is sovereign. And in it, our God is faithful because of all of what he has said about who he is 
and about who we are and about what he is going to do, know this. He is going to do exactly what he has said he is going to do because he does not change. He is faithful to who he is. Okay, Pastor Doug, I see the contrast. I hear that we're faithless and that God is faithful. Can you give an illustration? I would love to, and I'm glad that I heard you through the video digital media world, you asking that question. Please turn to Luke 15. Turn to Luke 15. Very familiar parable. Prodigal son. Let me give some context here as well. Let's illustrate the contrast that we just saw about faithlessness of us and the faithfulness of God. In actually in chapter 14, there's these great crowds that begin to gather. Jesus is teaching them a whole number of things, including the cost of being a disciple in Christ. Then in Luke 15, chapter 1, so cool, we find that as he is teaching, tax collectors and sinners draw close to him. By the way, so true about the Lord, even in the text here of the parable with the prodigal son. When the Lord teaches, when the Lord speaks, those who are far from him have a way of being drawn to him. And those who are close sometimes have a way of standing back from because that's what's taking place even in the text that tells us that the Pharisees are doing what the Pharisees are doing. They're just self-righteous in themselves. And Jesus then begins a few parables. Parables. Parables are stories. They're illustrations that teach. And we see the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then we have the parable of the prodigal son. All of these are in consecutive movement of teaching. So follow along in your Bible as I read. Remember, our God is faithful. Let me read verses 11 through 24. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so the father divided his property between them. By the way, the idea and the tent in the original language is the prodigal son was pressing him, was pushing him, was demanding of the father to give him his portion of the estate. And so the father divided his property between them. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. That sounds fun. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Okay, not so fun. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, then a severe famine arose in that country. How interesting, might I say, the sovereignty of God. And he began to be in need. This is what happens when you get in need. Verse 15, so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, it's like all of a sudden he realized what was going on. When he was in his, his idolatry run, 
seeking out these things. He finally comes to his senses, if you will. And when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but here I perish with hunger. You know what? I think I'm going to arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Wow, there's a lot of thinking in that. Verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, look here, look here, listen. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let me hold there in the text. Understand that in Jesus' day, these parables that Jesus is talking about were radical for the hearer in that day. In fact, it's interesting that the first two parables, the parables of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, is actually making reference to the owner going and looking for the lost sheep and looking for the lost coin. Then we come to this prodigal son. And it carries on this idea of something has been lost. Might we say... A son who has been faithless? A son who squandered and wandered and ran off? And by the way, before we get too pharisaical and think, well, I'm good that I haven't done that. Uh, Fact is, you and I have, and we do, and we tend to do that daily. And when they heard this, when they heard aspects that the owner went and looked, that, 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 that here now even, that the father, when he sees the son coming, which, by the way, carries this idea that the father was intently looking, was intently waiting, that, that, that the father uh, in this whole thing was periodically looking out the window of the house and on the farm or on the ranch and taking a look and a gander and wondering, uh, is Will, is he alive, is he dead? And then when he sees him, what would have normally happened in the culture of that day, a story like this was so radical for them to hear because a story like this would have been handled to where a faithless son who did what the prodigal son did, a father in coming back would never run out to them with joy and hugs. In that day, there would be known ramifications of hurt, 
being applied to. And so the, the people hearing this are, are literally flabbergasted, blown away by the fact that the father goes out not to grab him and drag him in and to give him a telling and to uh, make him eat with the pigs, maybe at the ranch himself, but instead is hugging him, loving him, was an absolute mind blow. You see the contrast. Here's a faithless son who comes to his senses, seeking to return, and, and in his faithlessness is really expecting to experience what would have normally happened in the day, and yet there is this contrast from the father is completely unlike anything of the day. And the father runs out and hugs and loves on his son. Let's just consider a few things about this. Consider the father. The father longs for the return of his son. And that's who God is. He longs for the return of a wandering child. The father watches for his son to return. That's who our God is. He's aware. And he's longing and he's yearning. But I will note this, the father is undeterred by the son's faithlessness. There's this implied reality that all the endeavors of the father's farm and ranch and everything with it, though this one son continues off and runs off living in faithlessness, the father's faithful plans, they're not deterred, friend. God is not pushed off his bike by our faithlessness. He yearns that we would return, and yet the Father's plans are not diverted, are not deterred by our faithlessness. Thank God for that. And I will say we see no sign of the Father wrestling in his mind as to whether his son is even still his son. He knows he is his son. There's no wrestling on how he's going to respond if when his son returns. It's just this natural thing. We don't have anything here telling us. In fact, it's the exact opposite. We don't see the father sitting in the house going, oh my, what do I do now? I will say, that's whack-a-mole attributes. That's like, which one should I do right now? No, you see, the Father uh, in here, in a text that is pointing out the grace of God, particularly so, in here, all of who the Father is comes into this. And he is already his Son, and his grace is there. That is who our God is. He longs for him, he watches for him, he's undeterred by his faithlessness, and I'll just note the Father forgives in a big way. In a big way. I mean, it would have been amazing even if the Father just ran out, hugged, and said, no, come on in. You got your same bedroom. You got the same thing. Everything's the same case. Let's just go on. No, no, no. He's like, no, we're going we're gonna to partay. And by the way, there's no struggles shown of the Father trying to figure out whether he should. It's like this is what the Father does. This is who the Father is. Grant full, free forgiveness to his 
faithless son. Why would God do that? Because that's who God is. In fact, all this reminds me of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the way, this whole prodigal son should help us understand a little bit more of what that is. Oftentimes when I hear people talk about 1 John 1, 9, we talk about it like it's this, it's, it's this transactional thing. And it is, but there's a, a, a thing here that the prodigal son story brings to light here, and that is that this is an emotional thing. This is an exuberant thing. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins. Why? Because that's who our God is. And there's a whole host of other truths that you could kind of uh, dig out of this. And I would encourage you at home as a family, uh, alone with friends, to consider more. How do we see this working its way out, that God is faithful? Let me just finish by kind of turning to the Son what are some things we see with the son? Well, one, he realizes that he has lived intrinsically faithless. He's kind of at this point in his life where he's thinking like, hey, I want to run after those things, so I'm going to cash all my chips in and grab a hold of them, and I'm going to run after all that I want. And he gets to the point where you and I routinely get to realizing that, you know what, the thing and the things that I'm chasing at are not so satisfying in the end. And he comes to the end of himself, and he realizes that he is, in fact, intrinsically faithless. He also then returns. He returns ready to repent of his faithlessness to his faithful father. He realizes, he returns, and then he sees his father. What a moment. Uh, in, again, in that culture, a son knew what was going to go down then. And what went down was not at all what he was expecting. And he finds his father running after him in joy and celebration that he's returned. Boyfriends, that tells you who our God is. And then he hears his father declare his great joy for his return. I'll tell you, there are times where you remember some words. You remember moments. And I promise you that although this is a parable, this is a story, that boy remembered that moment for the rest of his life. And then he hears his father declare his joy. He realizes, he returns, he sees his father, he hears his father, and then I'll just add, he experiences this undeserved celebration from his faithful father. A faithless man being loved on by a faithful father. And in it all, the faithless son is stunned by who the faithful father is. Radiant, so should we. So should we. We should be the kind of people that are crazy thankful that in all the noise, 
in all of the things that are going on in life, whether it's like this last week or whether it's in times before a week like this, here's the reality. Our God is faithful. He does not pop up who he is here and there for what is convenient in the moment. God is not willy-nilly in the reality of who he is. He is who he is all the time. All the things we've been talking about, who our God is, our God is that all the time. All the time. And that is something to be so thankful for because we need to grasp a hold of that in a crazy wild world. Our God is faithful unswerving adherence to who he is. All that God has said, he will do. All that God has done, it has been faithful to who he is. All that our God will do, he will do. And we know that because all of this is wrapped up in the fact that all of who he is, he is all the time. He is never not all of who he is. And that's something to rejoice about. And that's something to be thankful for. And in all the noise and in all the topsy-turvy and in all of the revealed insecurities that I think this last week has raised up within us, even within our day-to-day doubts and our day-to-day anxiousness, And even in times of our wandering, our God is faithful. And we hold on to that. Lord, I thank you so much that you are who you are. The very intrinsic nature of who you are. The very intrinsic essence of who you are. It is constant, it is stayed, it is true. You are faithful to who you are. You cannot deny who you are. You cannot disown who you are. You are faithful because you are the great I am. And Father, in a crazy, topsy-turvy world right now, How cool is it that we get to set ourselves on the fact that in all the noise and all the up and down, you are faithful. All the time, never anything less, you are faithful. And so, Father, I pray for maybe the prodigal-like person who maybe has been running from you. I pray for the person who is anxious with everything that is going on, whether looking at their stock market portfolio or their work situation. God, it doesn't make it easy, but there is hope, there is grounding, there is security, because you know where all this is going. 
And you and your sovereignty are bringing it where you want it to go. And in it all, you are seeking that we would be conformed to be more like Christ. Might all of the noise point us back to all of the stability of who you are. Thank you for being a God that is faithful. Amen.